Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Well, we are back for a bonus episode of Stop the Killing. And the reason we're doing this, Catherine, is there's been a lot that's happened with the Uvalde case since we did our first recording, which if you haven't listened, you can go back and hear that earlier on the feed. It's under bonus episode, Uvalde shooting. Tell us what has happened since we recorded that, which was very fresh. Yeah, you know, we recorded Uvalde within a day or two within a very short amount of time after we first started to get some information. And probably the most startling situation that we have here, we say Uvalde because now it's a word, but what we mean is an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, where there was a terrible shooting, 19 children killed and two female teachers. When we first did a recording, we had a certain amount of information, but yesterday the head of the Texas Department of Public Safety testified in front of the Texas Senate and talked about what they had learned. And we had been getting a couple of weeks since the shooting pieces of information. It had been primarily coming in from like witnesses or a mom who was on the scene or a dad who lost a child who was distraught or maybe somebody who talked to somebody who talked to somebody who'd heard from a police officer kind of thing. Testimony yesterday was pretty startling in the detail. They provided a a timeline of what they believe based on body camera footage and cameras inside. And so just juxtapose these two thoughts. When we first recorded, there was conversation about how the law enforcement officers came to the school, the shooter was inside, potentially barricaded in a classroom. And it took them an hour and 14 minutes to get inside of the classroom because they didn't have the tools to get through these doors and for various other reasons. Okay, here's what the testimony was yesterday. Three minutes into the shooting, law enforcement had ballistic shields and the capability, long guns, including rifles, to get inside the classroom. Oh, you've just given me chills. Three minutes. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Let me just back up and say, Texas is like a lot of other states. All the states have their own state authority of law enforcement, and then their county authorities and local authorities. And in this case, there was actually a police authority specifically for the school that only employed six people, including a police chief. And the police chief has provided almost no public testimony or no public statements. Actually, he's made one to one newspaper who called and the reporter called me and said, this is what the chief said. Does this sound right? When the head of the state organization of law enforcement testifies before his state Senate, he's not speaking on behalf of the law enforcement agency that essentially was in charge at the scene. He's just saying, he's Uh saying, here's what we've gathered together and here's what we found. And everybody's asking for testimony. I can tell you that my friend who runs my old program at the FBI is testifying before Congress tomorrow. You know, he's as busy as a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest, as we would say. Great saying. Can I ask you a question? Who was in charge at that scene that made the call not to do anything after that three minutes? So if you're not familiar with Ivaldi and what occurred there, of course, this was an elementary school. We had a young kid who came in with a rifle, you know, he shot his grandmother first, who survived. He drove to the scene, he crashed his car. People saw him. He fired some rounds at some people standing near a funeral home nearby. So there were phone calls to law enforcement before he even entered the school. One of the other things that we learned yesterday is that the school doors should have had automatic locks on them. So though there was a door that was open at one point that we know Mm -hmm. that the subject came through, a teacher had come through that doorway and had actually propped it open to carry some stuff in. But then she saw the shooting and she went outside. She called 911. She came through that doorway, kicked the Mm -hmm. door closed and the shooter came through it subsequently. The door that should have had a permanent lock on it. So when it closed, you know, Mm -hmm. somebody from the outside couldn't get in. It appears that based on the information we have now, 
that door was not locked, even though their policies and procedures required them to lock the door. Right. So that's the first thing. He gets into there. This is brand new information. Two different doors law enforcement comes in from. Included in those people who came in is the police chief for this tiny school police department. And when he did his interview with the Texas Tribune, kudos to the reporter who got that interview, because that's the only interview he ever did publicly. But when he did that interview, he said, well, I was inside watching the door, making sure nobody came out the door and I wasn't in charge and I don't know who was in charge. The police chief said he didn't know who was in charge. The police chief. Right. Who would he have thought would have been in charge? Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) There's a clue in his title, for God's sake. (laughs) Exactly. Right. That's what he said. And mind you, you know, I'm laughing and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the loss of life. And I'm certainly not disrespectful to the concept that there Mm -hmm. were law enforcement officers. There were like a hundred law enforcement officers on the scene. And certainly we know even the police chief, he went to elementary school there years ago. Nobody Mm. wanted those children to die. Nobody was functioning actively to say, hey, let's just let more people die. But one of the things that the chief has indicated in some of his statements is that he was trying not to lose any more lives, including his officers' lives. And that is against all protocol. So Mm. he said he wasn't in charge in that interview. But then when we got this testimony yesterday from the head of the State Department of Public Safety, he was saying from transcripts they have, from information they have, the chief did this, the chief directed that, the chief did this. Clearly, the chief thought he was in charge and was acting Mm -hmm. in charge. And he was inside the building. But I think one of the things that we saw yesterday in the testimony is we saw photographs. And the reason that the head of Texas Public Safety said within three minutes is that he is looking at photographs of officers with long guns and ballistic shields. What else do you need? Surely. The one thing I'm trying to get my head around is the actual location of the officers. At the time, did the timeline say where the shooter was? Was he in one contained classroom by this stage and the officers were in a hallway outside that classroom? Yes. They knew exactly where he was. They knew he was in classroom 111 or classroom 112, which has adjoining doors between it, but they had interacted with him. And apparently the chief was speaking to him through the doorway at a couple of different points, but they were also hearing him discharge rounds from his weapon during that time. So they're actually sitting out there listening. And you know what? This is a no good story, right? And the stories will be bad and worse. There are a couple of things that are just heartbreaking. We learned that although the chief had said they were looking for special equipment to get through the doors because they had put reinforced steel doors or something on. Well, it turns out that they in fact had a door breaching tool with them within a short time. So gosh, all the gear, no idea. Like they literally had everything at their disposal. I imagine not everybody wanted to stand back. I think that's true. And I'm going to tell you the saddest part is that I know that there was an officer on the scene whose wife was one of the teachers who was killed inside. No. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There were radio communications and officers who I'm sure will have nightmares for the rest of their life, who were saying to each other, we should just go in, we should just go in. And I think that the anger that we heard in the testimony of the head of the state public safety group was anger because he had people on scene. And the state Senate legislators said, why didn't your people override and go in? Why didn't you take over the scene? That is a very controversial 
kind of issue that we deal with here in the States. In some people's minds, there's this attitude that when the FBI comes in and they just think they're in charge. And I think that's a myth born of a couple of television shows or old movies, right? In fact, the FBI has limited jurisdiction to come in and be in charge of something. The way it is, the department whose jurisdiction it is, they're usually the first ones on the scene and there's deference given to them. And is it a chain of command issue? You know, it isn't. It's interesting you say that because I did a well, not surprisingly, I did a, a, some interviews yesterday, a podcast, a couple of radio interviews, and you know, I'm trying to explain, right? And I was asked that by a radio station from right down in that area. And I said, not really, because law enforcement has a very set and understood way of doing incident command. The first officer who shows up is in charge. That's incident oh, command. Okay. I right? didn't realize that. So if three officers show up and they're from the same department, then probably the ranking officer is going to be in charge if three officers show up together. Like this chief was from the school district. He showed up with an officer who was from the town of Uvalde. Well, okay. So then you say, well, this is the chief's jurisdiction and he's a chief. So he's in charge. It it would have been clear to every law enforcement officer there that incident command doesn't start with title. Incident command solely has to do with who's on the scene first and who has a command of the issues. And there's a very set way, as many law enforcement agencies as we have, we all learn incident command the same way. So who was in charge, Catherine? The the chief of the school district police department was in charge. And what are the implications of that going forward? It's going to be a lot of messy lawsuits, a lot of payouts. I hope that there's some good that comes out of it. I think that two things that need to come out of it is School districts, particularly ones who have chosen to have these tiny little departments, need to evaluate whether or not they need a small department. Instead, they should think about whether or not they could provide better services, better training, better incident command by having a contract with a local, whether it's the county or the state, Mm -hmm. to have better, broader experience. That makes sense. For their law enforcement. I just read recently, there are 309 school police departments in Texas alone. Um, And some of them have four officers who are responsible for eight buildings. So do the math. I do basic math. I don't do complicated math because I'm a writer. (laughs) You know, we don't do math on this podcast. No, math is not my thing. So, you know, something to consider whether or not that's a good idea. And so I'm hoping that school districts in any small town that has a very small department and believes that it's trying to protect all of its schools and all of its buildings considers whether they have the horsepower to do that. That horsepower includes training and equipment. But on top of that, it's clear that there's going to be a lot of mental health needs for the officers here. There's going to be suicides that come from this. We see that every time there's this kind of a tragedy. There's subsequent suicides. So a lot of these guys are on suicide watch. A lot of them probably will end their careers, won't go back to work because they were there and you know, they'll have to deal with the fact that they were there in the small town. You know, every officer has to make the decision on what's right. You know, we had a situation up in Minnesota, you know, a few years ago where a black man, George Floyd, was arrested and pinned to the ground and an officer basically put his knee on this guy's neck to the point where a jury convicted him of murdering the guy. There were three other officers present at the time. And as you can imagine, those officers were asked, Why didn't you act? Why didn't you do what you were trained to do? And I don't think that's much of a difference here. And I'm confident that many or almost all of those hundred officers or so who were present were trained 
in active shooter training, which your protocol is you go directly to the shooter, neutralize the shooter. You don't let anything stop you. If shooting is going on, your primary objective, Police 101, is to get to the shooter. And that didn't happen here. So if officers had chosen to do that and override the police chief, I'm no soothsayer. I can't say what would have happened and when that would have happened. But I think that, you know, if lives are saved, no one's going to discipline an officer for saving lives. You know, an officer who defied whatever that police chief was doing could have faced disciplinary action potentially if their chain of command felt that they were doing something wrong. I think that was the least consideration. I think Mm -hmm. there was just a lot of there's a lot of groupthink happening where they were just saying, well, somebody's in charge and he's making decisions and he must have better information than I do. I mean, there are photographs of 20 officers standing in a hallway suited up, but not going in. No, it's, just, it's just hard to conceive how it happened. And I'm sure that law enforcement who sees that agonizes over it the same way you and I might agonize over it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you're enjoying Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims... Subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. There are a lot of stories of parents on the sideline actually breaching the police lines to go in and get their children. And I think we'll get a lot more details on those. And I've kind of seen what others have seen in the news. You know, there were parents who both went to the scene and got their children. I saw an extraordinary interview with a mother who went in and got her two boys. That was phenomenal. She's just doing what parents do, right? And then I saw other stories of people saying the police wouldn't let me go in. And I'm confident that that occurred too, because that's part of the incident command rules is that the officers on the outside set a perimeter and don't let anybody come in. If you show up and you're on the outside perimeter, your job is to keep anybody else from coming into the danger zone. So Mm -hmm. they were doing what they thought they were supposed to do, just like the parents were trying to do what they thought they were supposed to do. And Mm -hmm. so I think we will have many more detailed stories, but in the meantime, the last child was just buried a couple of days ago. Oh gosh. In a tiny little white and yellow coffin. Do you think this case is going to have any impact on changing the way America views gun violence? 
I think it will have incremental changes. I think that we are, as a group, struggling with a sense of being responsible for it. Plenty of people say, I'm a responsible gun owner. This doesn't have anything to do with guns. I've heard that a million times. So I think there'll be changes. One of the changes that I'd like to see is I'd like to see school districts start teaching run, hide, fight, not just hide. I'm very frustrated that the schools don't teach people to run out of the danger zone. I think we'll see some changes, but it's hard to say. It's Mm. hard to say. Where do you think this is going to go from this point on? Are we going to be doing bonus episodes on this one for a while, do you think? I think we will because we have a shooter, you know, who was killed at the scene, but instead of us having litigation about a shooter, what we now have is legislative arguments and litigation about what should be done. And there are going to be laws passed by the Texas legislature that may or may not help, but they're going to be those kinds of laws that get passed after something bad happens. And they'll, that state will have its decisions about what it thinks will make their kids safer, whether it will or not. You cannot turn away from Uvalde. It's so confronting. Mm-mm. What would you say to people as an action that they could take to actually make some decent change to this situation? I think if you have school kids, if you have grandchildren, if you work in a school district or school, I think that there are two things that you should know. One is children are safer in school than they are at home. More children die of firearms at home. You're four times more likely as a child to die in a home if there's a firearm there. So children are safe in schools. But if you want children to be safer in schools, your grandchildren, your children, your neighbors, children, then we have to incorporate the run in run, hide, fight into our school training. And we just Mm -hmm. don't do that. So look on your school website, contact your school board members, talk to your teachers, tell them no matter what they're trained, no matter what the school district says, the safest thing they can do with their children in their classroom is flee from the area. Run, hide, fight. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it.
You may recall I mentioned at the end of the last episode, Catherine and I met some incredible podcasters at CrimeCon in both Vegas and London this year who create ethical and compelling content. So let me introduce you to one such podcast. Hello listeners, my name is Casey, host of the Cult Vault podcast, a long format interview-based show that focuses on cults, high demand groups, captive organizations and more. Each week, I interview a different cult survivor who brings a story of coercion and exploitation along with their own fight for freedom. With nearly 200 survivor interviews from all over the world, you can also find deep dives into infamous cults, interviews with leading experts in the field, and understand more about how cults exist all around us and none of us are safe. Each month, I feature a different author on the show who has penned a compelling memoir about their cult experiences, which we discuss at length on the show, with copies of their books available to listeners. You will never be short of insightful and moving content here at the Cult Vault Podcast, available on all major platforms. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.